I'm just reflecting to myself, how does, how does one start one of these? <laughs> Dharma talks. <laughs> how are you? You know, when you go to different countries or if you go to different cultures or... So I'm in a different culture right here. <clears throat> so you hear the different kinds of ways people say things. So one of the ways I've been greeted here a few times is... I um, don't know if it's New England or particular people. They say, Hi, Catherine. Life is good to you? <laughs> Something like that. So, you know, when you're out of your familiar just zones of patterning and responding, it's like, okay, so I took it as a question. <laughs> but, you know, that's when we have those ways of greeting each other, they're not necessarily meant as a full question. <laughs> we, get, we find the ways to, to have our efficiency, but then they can become... Um, well, you know how it goes. You know how it goes in relationship. They can become things that we... hide behind or stay behind. Um, uh, we have equally as, you know, same things. It's just that we, you get to see it fresh. So hopefully also coming into retreat is also coming into a new culture, not that you haven't been here before, so some of you haven't, but the culture that actually helps us start to see those places where I habitually go in a certain direction and I start to have a little bit more uh, questioning about it. I think just before I go into the theme that I'd like to reflect on tonight, it just reminds me of um, a greeting behavior um, in, in my culture, where I think I was at a family, family do, and I had come from a large tribe. And my cousin, uh, one of my older cousins, came over, similar actually, similar to the question I got here, but from my culture, so I knew what the response was, right? And he said, I can't remember how he did it. He said, all right, Kath, all right. Everything top-notch, is it? Everything top-notch? <laughs> Similar. And so there's the... There's the and, it's, and it's loving, absolutely loving underneath, but there's a way I'm, I'm supposed to respond, right? You can probably guess what it is. Yep, top-notch. <laughs> and again, in my, in my sort of sincere and die-hard lover of truth, this was uh, some, some time ago, I, I looked at him and I love that cousin, I hadn't seen him for years, We'd, and I, I looked at him, I said, you know, I think he did it with this gesture, you know, top notch, everything top notch. And I said, you know, yeah, I said, sometimes it's top notch, I said, sometimes it's middle notch, and sometimes it's uh, low notch. <laughs> and he said, Oh, and he, <laughs> and he paused a little bit and he said, oh, you know what, Kath, 
It's like that for me too. <laughs> yeah. So what I want to reflect upon tonight is the theme of aloneness and intimacy. Um, Aloneness, we usually think of as meaning physically alone because we consider ourselves this little being in this location and aloneness is when I've taken myself away from the crowd. Aloneness from a point of view of practice is a kind of inner aloneness where we, in a moment or in a period of time or maybe forever, we've not needing to tell ourselves stories about who I am. We're not needing to have the company of the other in our mind. That there's an inner aloneness where the chatter can relax and take us to a profound aloneness that is not dependent on whether we are with someone or on our own. And this aloneness is not lonely, but is a a fruit of practice. And from that aloneness, we can be in real relationship. To come close to that, there will be a cultivation or a deepening of the capacity to be intimate with ourself. Intimate with the chitta, the sensitive, resonant, uh, qualitative-ness. To be able to be intimate with what passes through the chitta, the moods, the mind states, the emotions, the qualities, the qualities that the chitta can be affected by, the expansiveness, the contractedness, the agitation or the calmness, the beauty or the scratchiness. To be able to be intimate with what passes through and how the chitta shows up is to be able to pulsate along with it, widen and soften with it, so that we do not... have to. We do not... It's a bit slippy tonight. Hold on a sec. Maybe it was my earring that kept it on well the other day. (laughs) Okay, let's see how that goes. Whether on, oops, can you hear it? 
having trouble with this tonight. From an untrained mind perspective, we need to, can you hear this okay? Yeah, okay, good. From an untrained mind perspective, we, I, needs to be louder, okay. My ears got smaller in the last couple of days. Okay, let's try that. Test. Any, any advice on this mic? Use the hair. Oh. <laughs> 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 I've got somebody there. Okay, use, use the hair, what, to hold it in? <laughs> huh? Wrap my hair around my ear. Maybe that's why it's good to shave your head. Okay. Oh, Elizabeth's going to help me, great. Okay. Okay, thank you. All right, let me... Tr- All right. How's that? Can you hear okay now? Okay, let's... Um, hope. <laughs> let's hope. Yeah, so untrained mind, we use and rely on and lean on contact, sense contact, for this heart-mind to feel okay about itself, right? So an example is, like Yen I was saying last night, we look to the gaze of the other to, to reaffirm us. I um, go onto the internet to have something to hold me so that I can feel like I'm here. On retreat, we have less things, less sense contact, less of our familiar ways of getting that support for the, for the heart-mind. Have you noticed? There's less places, less avenues that we can go, um, that we may familiar, be familiar with going. Um, and so then we start to see the other contact of the thoughts. We start to try and um, have our familiar sense of who we are through thinking. What happens with mindfulness of body breathing and our sincere practice and relinquishing so many of our normal ways of getting the contact that makes us feel okay or makes us feel familiar is that the heart, the chitta, has to start to tune to itself, right? So let's say untrained me in a moment of not being mindful or attentive I will go and I'll feel that searching mind and I'll be searching for something to lean upon. Searching for something either to confirm my existence or to tell me I'm okay or to tell me I'm not okay, whatever is familiar for my mind. So on retreat here, we will also see that, you know, see the ways that we might be seeking things out to get a hit to get a hit, something to resonate with, something to tell me I'm okay, something to even confirm that I'm here at all. 
Have any of you ever noticed that wandering around the corridors? It's like, could somebody just look at me, please? Or could somebody just, you know? And I remember, and we can see this. It's not wrong. This is what we can study. This is useful. If we can wake up in the middle of that searching. One on one retreat I noticed, uh, this is at the sister center to here in England called Gaia House. And I was on a retreat. And I didn't know I was searching. We often don't know that we're doing that. But I found myself wandering, wandering around the corridors in the non-specified periods, kind of just wandering around, and found it myself standing by the washing up area, the dishwashing area. And there was, um, and I saw, eventually had a moment of mindfulness. <laughs> Mostly I was just sort of wandering around. Had a moment of mindfulness where I was gazing at a wiped bucket and that white bucket had written on it in red felt tip pen red pen said dirty tea towels right it's really mundane isn't it, it can get pretty desperate on return <laughs> something right dirty tea towels and it took a few moments. I think I even visited that sanctuary a few times or, you know, paid homage <laughs> there a few times. And I, I was looking at, and at once, so there was a moment of mindfulness, like, what, what am I doing? And then I could hear my mind. And it was pointing, as if somebody was watching, pointing to the bucket. I had been on staff at that retreat center some years before, and I had written dirty tea towels on that bucket. I wrote that. <laughs> no one was there, no one was looking. I was telling some imaginary other. I wrote that. That was that was me. So that, again, sounds like you re- you might reckon or either you think I'm I'm completely nuts or you recognize it in some way, right? Oh, and it's also very tender, isn't it? It's it's funny because we do it, we recognize something to confirm me, something to give me a hit, whether it's bungee jumping so I feel alive or whether it's, you know, as some of my students currently, it came in a week that three of them asked about getting support for their, uh, the way that they were very, they didn't use the word addicted, but um, hooked, leaning on the internet for support for the chitta. And they say, it's fine, internet, it's fine, but I'm using it. I can see it's affecting my mind. Before I've even got out of my bed, one guy said, I'm on, I'm on it. Right? He goes, I just need a bit more discipline around it. Can we look at that? And when we explored it, and I see the same, he was going, he and the other two also, going to that for the, some kind of holding, some kind of way, yes, the attention gets glued, bonds. It bonds like adheres. It's like, you know, we say we get glued to the television. Do you have the same expression? You get glued to the television. This is where our senses are glued and our chitta is not free. So it's the gluing we want to see and the ungluing from the dependence on the sense contact. And in that case, the hit that he would get from going to the internet, some kind of holding. It's like I plug into something that lets me know I'm connected. But he can't feel that. He gets lost through the channel of the eyes and the mind, and he's gone. 
That's what he said, right? So freedom, one of the ways of looking at it is to unglue, to unbond from our dependency for support for our mind on the sense contact, including thinking. There's nothing wrong with those things. It's the gluing. It's the bonding. It's the leaning on for support. And why do we want to look at that? Again, not because there's something wrong with it, but because those things, whatever they are, no matter how noble and beautiful, in the end cannot be our ultimate refuge because they pass. They cannot sustain. And so we're asked to another refuge, a real refuge that will take us onward, lead us homeward. And I would say the other way of looking at why we might want to do this unbonding is because when I go out through my senses, when I move away from the heart-mind and the capacity to be intimate with this location and resonate along here, I limit what's possible. I limit the potentiality of this heart-mind to unfold and to um, um, yeah, to unfold. I'll, hopefully I can say more about that. I limit my world, in other words. So a, another example I like a lot, simple example, a young woman I remember on retreat at a center I was teaching at, uh, uh, was a temple actually, and I had the good fortune that one of my teachers, when I was young teacher, beginning teaching, invited me to teach with him in Bodhgaya in North India, the place of the Buddha's awakening. And it was in the Thai temple there. And it's January in North India, so it can be sunny during the day, but it can then get cold because it's winter also. It can get cold when the sun goes away. And people were often doing their walking practice outside, and there was concrete paths, and it was gets warm when the sun shines on it, right? So um, this woman was walking bare feet, barefoot in her walking path 10 yards or 15 yards, back and forth. And she reported in the small group that she, the insight she had was unknowingly, until she knew it, she was walking in the sunny patch on the warm concrete so she could have that nice, pleasant feeling when the naked foot touches the warm concrete, right? She was walking back and forth, fine, it's okay, lovely. She said, but as the sun changed angle, because she went to the same spot every day. I don't know if some of you do that. Go to the same spot, to your little spot. As the sun changed angle and the concrete got cold, she noticed that she w her walking path got shorter and shorter, right? So from 15 yards, it went to 10 yards. 
it went to eight yards, it went to five yards. And when it was, I can't remember what she said, three or four yards, she went, oh, what's going on? My walking path just got shorter. And she realized, I don't want to go into the cold bit. I don't want to put my naked, I want to stay in that pleasant, that lovely, ah, right? Fine. But for her, she got something. She said, that's what I do in my life. That's what I do. She said, I don't want to go beyond the zone of where it stays comfortable for me. She said, and then that starts to limit my options, limit my life, limit when I go out, limit what I do. So she said, okay, I'm going to work with that. Simple, simple mundane example. She said, then she got to the end of her four yards and that naked foot, foot hovered over the bit where it's already in shadow, just as if it was a very courageous thing to do. But actually, she didn't have to. It was her commitment and interest and exploration that was um, calling her. But she then put her foot onto that cooler concrete, a little bit more, well, whatever it was, unpleasant is what she expected, but she put her foot down felt the resistance, and then relaxed into the coolness. And she said, such joy, such joy came in that moment. And then she continued to keep her path the the 15 yards in length. So the ways that we will limit what's possible, we, we get to stretch the chitta, we could say, here on retreat. It gets to stretch... We go beyond, not because we're pushing ourselves or um, thinking it's good to do things we don't like, but because our nobility of our purpose calls us, calls us just to stretch in a way that is loving. So with less of the familiar ways that we get that support for the chitta, one of the ways for me, and maybe you recognize, is to go to, towards my cat, right? Go to that stroke of the cat as a way to uh, soothe the heart, or whatever it is we go to. Right? Those things aren't here. We might think, you know, if we could put 100 cats in the room. And <laughs> if you like cats, that is. You might not like cats. But, you know, whatever it is that you go to, if we could just have that thing here, then I'd feel right. Why do they have to expose me to this kind of... Whatever it is, we contact when the heart starts to tune to itself. Sometimes it will be... Well, it, there will come old residues old residues of things we have not yet had the capacity or resource to attune to. Sometimes that may be things associated with aloneness, like loneliness, which isn't the same. But that takes healing and discernment. Like barrenness, sometimes we can um, contact a barrenness or a bleakness in the heart. Other residues can arise, the hurt, the sadness, the disappointment, the anger, the rage, the hostility, the sourness, somebody mentioned today, 
sourness. The chitta can come in all forms, its old residues, and also not just the pain, not just the old residues that are coming for healing, and they are coming for healing, but also many qualities and potentialities of the chitta that we may not have known were possible. We may have intuited were possible, but we haven't yet seen and embodied because they haven't been on our radar. They haven't been in the gaze point of my attentional focus. The attentional focus untrained will keep picking up the same resonances, the same qualities. So when the heart starts to tune with itself, resonate with itself, our practice is to learn to um, attend, to discern, oh, this is hurt, this is disappointment, (coughs) this is rage, (coughs) this is tenderness. Wow, this this is a beautiful aspiration. This is gratitude. This is hatred. We can learn to discern, attend, and widen and soften around it so it can be included without us having to become the hatred, the collapse, the scrunched upness, right? Those things which we know, which we may have taken to be me. We may have taken to be, oh, this is who I am. I'm just always someone who's collapsed. Always someone who's angry. I'm always someone who's really, 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 really fun. (laughs) Right? Well, check it out. If you, even the positive self-images, when we come on retreat in that, Um, tender humility to say, okay, I'm going to see what's here. We're not one thing. There are many things that are coming for us to touch, to discern, to widen around, and to be liberated. This is how we can serve the liberation of beings. One way we can serve the liberation of beings. Skill, learning the skill with what arises in the heart. Skill, I've had to make peace with that word skill. I found it rather alienating initially. In fact, for a long time in my practice, skill sounded to me, I don't know if it does to you, maybe you're skillful and you like the word skill. So we can, but skill reminded me of chess or something like that. It's like you have to, it's like, Skill, I didn't, it, didn't, it wasn't my word. So you might like skill. We can learn skill somewhere between skill and dancing. Right? Learning how to dance with what arises in the chitta. Learning skill, learning how to dance with the tiger. Any of you ever felt like a tiger here? You know, <laughs> that particular, tigers can do many things, but... Right, that aspect, learning how to dance or have skill with the fluttering bird. Learning how to dance 
or have skill with the bear. Sometimes the bear that's out, and sometimes the bear that just wants to hibernate, that wants to go in the cave and put the world away for the winter. Right? Not having to become those things, but knowing how to resonate, dance, and have skill. The feather, when the chitta is resonating as delicately as a feather, or whether it's scrunched up like a piece of paper that's been scrunched. Can I learn that, that skill? Okay, how do I meet scrunched upness? First, it will take our mindfulness to be able to see what's happening and the discernment. Okay, right now the chitta, the heart mind is like this. It's as delicate as a feather. It's as fiery as a fire. (laughs) It's as soft as a candy, you call it cotton candy, don't you? Soft as cotton candy, as firm as a mountain. as fluid, as watery, as a lake. So whether these resonances are pleasing to us or not, how is it to to learn and to welcome? these different beings that arise in my location. Some of this will be being open to seeing and recognizing things that aren't on our normal radar. So we have images of ourselves, ideas about ourselves. One of the ideas that I had about myself before I did any practice was it wasn't a big story, it was just yeah, yeah, I'm 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 cool. I can handle stuff. Yeah. I've been there and I've done that and I've right. And then uh, soon enough something comes to challenge that. At first, it's hard to see it because it's not on my radar. I don't think I'm agitated, hurt, despairing, disappointed, angry, whatever it is. And so I want to give an example just to trace how the skill can take us further homeward with this, to embrace and include and widen. So I was on a retreat here. I used to live here at IMS about 20 years. 19 years ago, and I was on a three-month retreat in the autumn, in the fall, and uh, I would go and do my walking meditation over there somewhere, before it got really cold, so in the September, October part, I think. And one of my friends was also on the retreat, a number of my friends were on the retreat, a uh, very good f- man I loved very much was on the retreat. 
And sometimes I'd do my walking near him, and he was walking just over there somewhere. There was some grass there. I'm not sure if there still is. And he was walking back and forth in the same walking path, seven walking periods a day, three weeks in, four weeks in, five weeks in. The grass was wearing out, right? And now there's no rule here. I don't think there was a rule here about that. I can't remember. But at Gaia House, in my country, <laughs> we, have, we have a rule. Don't keep walking on the same spot on the grass because it will wear the grass out. Right? <laughs> I never saw such a sign here. Or even if there was, it's not really the point. The point was I kept looking at him. <laughs> and my senses, my attention, my focus kept going there it's like and then the story couldn't feel the agitation couldn't feel yet what the heart mind was doing but the but the story at some point took really it took a while we don't get these things right away first thing is he's wrong why doesn't he stop doing that can't he see what he's doing look he's he's dangerous right <laughs> it's like Look, somebody, can you, you know, it's like want to put the arrow that's on the notice board, point it at him. I can't tell him. Somebody has to tell him. Now, it's, you know, it's very revealing about my, my psychology, but it's, this is what we start to see, right? The agitation, someone has to stop this, becomes urgent, even though in my mind somewhere, Grass, yeah, grass may well feel things. <laughs> but my response might be a little stronger than this may warrant. But that, you know, sometimes you could tell yourself that, but thank you. But it feels really terrible and real. Now, this is not that there are not things in this world that need our firm response but this wasn't one of them. It's a place for me to be able to discriminate, actually, where my charge can get mixed up in the picture of my care and my love and my wish to protect. So it took some time. So there's the story. He's, he's, I knew he was an okay person, but there's the story. And then at some point, maybe three weeks later, I don't know, takes a while sometimes. Oh, what's going on here? I couldn't say yet what was going on. I was too agitated. First thing I needed to do was to protect my senses, not go and walk out there next to him. Right? That can be wisdom at time. Guard my sense doors because I wasn't yet able to handle the proliferation and the agitation and the spin. So I went to walk somewhere else, even though my mind once in a while would go, I bet he's there. You know, I bet he's <laughs> right? Then sometime when there's a little bit more resource, coming back to foot touching the earth, it's okay, you can do this step, this step, this step. Then there's a bit more support then I could hear the story. Then there's a place of listening, and I catch the thread. The chat, it's not just chatter, it's an agitated, charged chatter. Caught the thread. But, but he, and somebody has to, and what about, and... Oh, okay. I hear that. Here's the one who feels hurt. 
here's the one who, th- who thinks that nobody is looking out for her. There's the lock of self that needed to just be heard and seen. Okay, something paused. I've got you, my love. I've got you. The story can rest. The agitation can start to, instead of spin up, can start to um, cycle down like water out of a plug hole, like a bath water down the plug hole. Something starts to rest in the heart. The tenderness, the pain and the hurt that needed the healing right there that then I could be intimate with. Then I could start to resonate with, I've got you, my love, I've got you. And something started to relax. Something came to quietitude. Something else started to open up. And then we can, yes, be intimate with these painful residues and getting the taste for intimate resonating, intimate sensing of what aren't painful residues in that moment of the quiet as that sense of myself started to rest, then we may start to be intimate with something quieter, something more still, something with space, something with vibrancy, where the the chitta in that moment isn't just confined to that one track, that did need hearing, absolutely. Did need holding, did need skill. Does need skill. Also, beautiful qualities arise. Can we make room for them? Things that show up spontaneously that um, we also don't know on our radar till they show up. So I was on another retreat. It wasn't silent. It had some silence. It wasn't completely silent. And the senior teacher, the beloved master, had come to teach for the day. He was just dropping in and then was dropping out. Um, and the other teacher, the, the normal, my normal teacher was there, and she asked, is there someone who can give... Hamid, it was called, is there someone who can give Hamid a ride, a lift, to where he's staying? And uh, before she'd even, there's 130 people in the room, before she'd even finished the sentence, my left, ha- my left arm went up. I'm right-handed normally, but I, I, she asked, I knew what it was going to be. And I looked up and it's like, I'm not that kind of person that goes and gives rides to teachers. (laughs) I'm cool. (laughs) But my hand was up. 
right? There, and if, as I sensed my heart, there was a, a, a wide kind of bright, loving, didn't fit my self-image at all. It was quite scary for me, actually, to be seen amongst my peers, to be that devoted. But there was something beautiful. Is that still okay? Closer. I got excited, didn't I, about that? <laughs> got excited about the ride. I need to develop some other skills. There you go. Um, so the, as the beautiful qualities arise, and in that case it was a kind of a devoted lovingness, could be many things, could be your, tenderness, could be your strength, could be your firmness to keep standing in the standing, your firmness and your willingness, could be your brightness and your radiance, could be your stillness could be spaciousness. All these things can, the chitta can appear in these different ways. They're not a place to lean because they too will keep moving and changing. But there are some beautiful healing and uplifting resonances that we can learn to trust, even if they don't fit my image, our images of ourselves. So learning to look beyond the familiar gaze softening the gaze, widening the gaze, making space for what is, feels miraculous when both the healing of that pain and making room for the uh, beauty has room. One of the things that can arise, of course, in our aloneness is the loneliness. Sometimes feels very laminated, sometimes feels very close by. The loneliness that feels like um, a disconnection or a longing for connection with something, usually in our mind's eye with the other. Loneliness is not the same as aloneness, but it is often on the way. It may be louder.
Any help is welcome, yeah. Let's just, that's nice. Let's just breathe. Okay. Use the other one. Because the issue is the fit. It doesn't feel very secure, actually. Okay. How's that? Is that better? Yeah, well, that feels, that sounds good. Okay. (sighs) (laughs) So if loneliness arises, can we learn how to resonate with that? Can we see that what seems to perpetuate that is our trying to fill the gap, fill the gap of the loneliness by trying to find that thing we think will soothe it, will meet it, will connect with it, will be intimate with it. And of course our mind thinks of other. This is the kind of classic formulation, isn't it, of the intimate other. But we know, I think, and I propose it if you don't know, But it isn't, in the end, about the other, because the other might be there sometimes, and we still feel lonely, right? Whoever the other is, at a party or at a, you know, they can't do it in the end. So we're asked to pick up when we have enough support to touch and put our ankles, wade a little bit, paddle, wade, sense, that loneliness, to, to know the loneliness as the way back into the intimacy with the heart. To let our heart be so intimate with itself that every cell of our heart is pulsing with every cell of our heart. Because in the end, the mind may say, it's the relationship I want but I propose that actually it's the intimacy we want. It's the intimacy we want that maybe the other can be a doorway for and maybe not. So letting ourself sometimes go via the door of loneliness when the searching for 
we feel the dukkha of it, the frantic quality of it, that we have to start resonating with our own heart. We may feel the longing, or we may feel the disconnect, and can we connect with that? Can we breathe with that? Can we let that take us deeper into the heart of the heart? And in those moments when we are, it's as if we are naked to ourself. Naked like denuded, denuded of images, denuded of stories about who I am or who I should be or who I was or who I ought to be or who I'd like to be. Denuded of those ideas, we can start to trust the intimacy, the sensing, the palpating, the calling of that to our depth, the whisper of that to come deeper home. And maybe now if we sit together for a few minutes and breathe with yourself in your location, let your heart's love draw you to listening Tuning to the quiet. Tuning may be to any other resonances that are there, maybe the longing or the loving or the... Listening... Breathing. To maybe what doesn't call as loudly to us as our familiar grooves, as our well-worn ideas about ourselves and the world. that may be quieter. Listening into the silence. Breathing out into the silence, trusting that right now you do not have to make an image of yourself. They can rest their head in the lap of the Buddha.
and keep listening. Between the words, through the words, not limited by the words. Letting your cells melt into the silence. Whether you hear it through your ears, whether you recognize it as a quality that the the heart-mind can also pick up. Sometimes one might recognize the silence as a silky, black, velvety, intimate night sky. or as clear air, or as something else. This heart-mind is full of potentiality, bristling and bursting and alive with potency not of who we should become or who we think we ought to be. Stay close to this altar intimate willing Awake. And within this, many beings will come and go. The tigers and the birds. the feathers and the bears, the noble humans, the suffering humans.
So let's continue practicing and we'll meet back for the last sitting at, um, let's meet back at five to nine if the bell ringer could ring at ten to. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.